Praise the Lord, everybody. It is a privilege to be with all of you here today. And we're going to get right into the Word of God. I have a very special Bible lesson to teach this morning. <clears throat> and uh, if you have not remembered anything I've ever said before this, don't forget this lesson. Because I want to talk to you from my heart about where the church is and how we are to respond to all the things going on around us. I sincerely believe that we are approaching the last days and that God wants the church to rise to the occasion by which he can use us in these last days to do the work of the Lord. And I'm going to talk to you about what I feel is one of the most important things the church can do that we might be used of God, that we might be fruitful for the Lord, and that we might fulfill his commandments. I uh, am going to read a verse of scripture here in Matthew 16 and verse 13. If you have your Bibles and would like to turn to this verse of scripture with us, I'm going to talk about <clears throat> the power that's in the church, the power that's in the church. And I want to show you in the Bible here where that this is absolutely for us today. And God wants us to tap into it and use it. Now, I'm reading here from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. And when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, this was the question that he asked them. They said, some say that they are John the Baptist and uh, Elias and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, verse 15, Jesus repeats the question about what he had just asked about what they, who they think he is. He says in verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you think I am? And Simon Peter answered that one himself. It wasn't different one saying this or that. Verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word Christ is the New Testament word or the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. And he was simply saying, you are the Messiah that's been promised from days of old. And we know that you are, you are that one and you have come. And we know that you are the Christ. Then the Lord goes on to say in verse 17 that flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto him of my Father in heaven. But this is what he says in verse 18. And I'm going to tie this in with verse uh, 15 or 16 rather where Simon Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. In verse 18, and this is Jesus speaking, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I want to present to you here, that while I know Jesus Christ is a rock of salvation and so forth, there is something that I think is more here for us to look at. 
And that was that when Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Jesus said to him, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. The word Peter means stone. It does not mean a rock in the sense of the word. I say that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The rock that he has built his church on is the relationship we have with Jesus. Uh, Peter said, I know that you're the Christ. And Jesus said, and I know who you are. I know who you are. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. And then in verse 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock of relationship, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I want to say this to all of us here today, folks, that our relationship with Jesus Christ is one of the greatest and the most important things in our walk with God. I know we, uh, we come to the Lord, we repent of our sins, we're baptized in Jesus' name. We ask God to fill us with his spirit. He does. We, are full. we have his spirit inside of us. But we just don't stop there. That's not where it all ends. Where we, that's only the beginning. And the beginning is to build a relationship with Jesus. It's to have a prayer life. It's to talk to him every day. Is to have a communication with the Lord all the time so that you know the Lord and the Lord knows you. If we ever stray away to the right or to the left in the wrong direction, he can speak to us and pull us back in line again. So I'm telling you this, that this relationship with Jesus Christ is something that the church has got to have above everything else. A number of years ago, we were discussing in some of our board meetings, what we should do as the first thing uh, in helping new converts to get rooted and grounded in the faith. We always thought of it as being teaching the doctrine. And I spoke to the board and said this to them. I said, I have come to the conclusion that the most important thing that we can teach from the very beginning to new people who come into the church and who are saved is to teach them to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Learn to pray. Learn to talk to God. Learn to take everything to the Lord. Make Jesus Christ the most important thing in your life. And don't let anything interfere with that. And walk with Jesus with all of your heart and have that relationship with him. Everyone knows that a good marriage has a good relationship. A man and a woman cannot get married and then each one go their own different way and they never talk. They never have a conversation. Uh, they ever do. They don't know what the other one means. And, and the communication is just not there. And I want you to know here that in our walk with God, praise the Lord, because we are the bride of Christ and will be the bride in eternity. We're the bride of Christ because of that. We have to have, praise the Lord, a good relationship with Jesus Christ established in this life on this side of Jordan that we might, praise the Lord, be what he would have us to be. Amen. So having a good relationship with the Lord is a very important thing. That's a prayer life. That's a prayer life, talking with the Lord. Now, I want to tell you this, that with that relationship, there will come hindrances. And that's the devil's business. 
Don't say, oh, devil did this, devil did that. Hey, that's his business. That's what he's going to do. He's going to try to keep you from praying. He's going to try to keep you from talking to God. He's going to try to talk, keep you from having any kind of conversation with the Lord. He'll make you so busy in life, load you down with all kinds of duties, responsibilities, burdens, cares of this life that you simply just don't have time to pray. Now, we really do have time to pray, but he'll make us think we don't. Now, I want to show you a verse of scripture over here in the book of Exodus. This is very interesting because when Moses and, and, uh, and Aaron, his brother, went to Pharaoh to tell him, the Lord has spoken to us and said, let my people go. And so I'm going to read these verses of scripture to you. This is in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness verse 2 look at pharaoh's response to that and pharaoh said who is the lord that i should obey his voice to let israel go i know not the lord neither will i let israel go now this is what pharaoh was saying to him now, Pharaoh goes on to say this, And the king of Pharaoh said unto them, Whether do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works? Get you under your burdens. Get back to your burdens. You don't have enough to do. You got spare time. You're, you're, uh, you're thinking about trying to worship and trying to pray and seek the Lord and and uh, no, 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 you got too many, you got burdens, you got responsibilities, you got things you got to take care of. Then look what he does in verse 6. Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, <clears throat> saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick. As herefore, let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tail, that is the number of the bricks which they did make hitheretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof. In other words, they've got to produce the same number of bricks every day as they've always had. But now they've got to go out and gather the straw to put in the brick. It's sort of a mud solution. They put straw in it to bind it together to make the bricks and stones that they did. Or not stones, but the bricks that they did in those days. Then it goes on to say here, for they be idle. They got too much time on their hands. Therefore, they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And I'm going to burden them down. And this is what de the devil does to us sometimes. <clears throat> you say, I'm going to start praying more and I'm going to seek the Lord. And you sort of, so you sort of uh, get more time that you're going to pray. You're going to seek the Lord. You're going to have prayer time. And lo and behold, if there isn't this thing happening, that thing happening, this requirement, that thing comes up, so, uh, telephone calls coming through, uh, uh, you know, whatever this here or there, uh, people wanting to see you about something, troubles coming around. And you say to yourself, man, I just don't have time to pray. I'm so busy. Listen, folks, that's the devil's business to make us so busy. We don't have time to pray. And I want to encourage everyone here, praise the Lord, 
to seek the Lord anyhow. Some things you just have to push aside. Some things you have to say, they're not that important. Praise the Lord. Prayer, my devotion, my time with the Lord uh, is the most important thing in all the world. Uh, There has been great men and women who have lived in the past and they found that prayer was a key, a very key factor in their lives. Martin Luther, who was the uh, founder of the Lutheran Church, uh, lived back in the uh, 1500s. Uh, Martin Luther, so history says, that he prayed four hours a day. He prayed from four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock in the morning. Four hours from four to eight. And someone said to him one day, I don't know how you have time to pray that much. And he said, if I didn't pray that much, I wouldn't have time to do everything else I have to do. So I just want to encourage us here today. Let's make prayer a very important thing in our life. Satan, oh yeah, he'll try to stop you. But don't let that stop you. You keep right on plowing ahead. Make a time of devotion because it is in prayer that God will give us the power that we need to battle the things of these last days. It'll come no other way, folks. There is no magic wand. There is no secret device. It is through the simple act of prayer. And God has ordained that for the church. That's our weapon is prayer. We can go to God in prayer. We can defeat the enemy. We can overcome hurdles. We can see the people heal from their sicknesses and afflictions because God has ordained that. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to uh, go a little further here. I'm going to talk to you from the book of James for a little bit because James gives us some very uh, important things about prayer. I'm reading here from James chapter 5 and verse 13. James 5, 13. Is any among you afflicted? Now notice the word afflicted. Afflictions are handicaps. They are conditions that happen to your body. Uh, it can be all kinds of things. It can be with arms. It can be in your back. It can be in your leg or your foot, your hands. Uh, just situations that are there. And he said, if any man's afflicted, <clears throat> let him pray. Let him pray. Praise the Lord. That's the solution. Now, is God going to heal that affliction? Is God going to... Uh, Is he going to correct the affliction? He might and he might not. It doesn't matter whether he does or doesn't. It does matter that we pray. Praise the Lord. Because in prayer, if God chooses not to change the affliction, he will give us an avenue that we can be a benefit and a blessing to the kingdom of God and in the church of God. Praise the Lord in whatever way God wants to use us. Sometimes it's in an affliction that we begin to pray and we become prayer warriors. And because we are prayer warriors and we become a praying man or a praying woman, God will move and touch and bless and heal and do a lot of things for a lot of other people because we have become a prayer warrior in our afflictions. So he says, if it is, let me let him pray. Is any Mary, let him sing psalms. Or sing songs of praise unto God. Praise the Lord. So when you're happy, you're merry. Amen. Sing those songs. Those beautiful hymns we have. Those beautiful worship songs. I love them. 
Let's thank God and glorify him. And this is why God wants us to worship him, praise him, glorify his name. And if any is afflicted, let him pray. Now look at verse 14. Look at this next verse. Excuse me. Is any sick among you? Now this is different than the affliction. Is any sick among you? Look what it says about that. Does it say let him pray? No. It says let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, why does James say that for the sick and he doesn't say it for the afflicted? And here's the reason, folks. When you're sick, it's hard to pray. It's hard to pray for yourself. It's hard to think about anything but the sickness that you are confronted with. This is when you need people to pray with you and for you. And I want you to know here today that whenever we are sick, we need somebody praying for us. Don't be ashamed or don't be hesitant to call, to ask, to reach out to others and say, will you please pray with me? Will you please pray for me? Amen. And you get people praying for you because it's difficult many times to pray for yourself when you're sick. You're so sick sometimes you can't hardly, you can't hardly, you just can't hardly go. I, I won't even try to describe the kinds of sicknesses that can be upon us. But that's when we need somebody praying for us. And the Bible talks about calling for the elders of the church and letting them pray over us. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. And the, and the Bible says anointing them with oil. Oh, that's interesting, anointing with oil. Uh, I've heard uh, some forms of Christianity sort of condemn divine healing. And I've always said, well, it's right here in the Bible. It says, let them call for the elders of the church, anointing them with oil, the prayer of faith to save the sick. It says it right there. And so and I think that God would have us to be mindful of it. Uh, not only did they, does it mention here in James, but also over here in Mark, uh, this is where that the disciples went out preaching in the days of Christ when he still was in his earthly ministry. They went out to preach and to minister to the people in the coming of the kingdom of heaven and God upon the earth, and uh, the, that which was the church coming. Verse 13, and they cast out many devils, and anointed with oil many that were sick. So the disciples was doing this and healed them. They anointed them with oil and healed them. So I'm just pointing out to you here that those that are sick, I guess I think God wants us to be very mindful that we can call upon the Lord and he will heal. Now, I want to go a little further with this. Praise the Lord. I want you to look at verse 15 with me. And if there's anything else that uh, the, that you get out of this lesson, don't forget this one. And he says, they anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Always in the name of the Lord. Anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Praise the Lord. The prayer of faith. Hallelujah. So when the elders all pray, and we all pray together. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. There's something about faith. Faith is like saying, I believe God can do this. 
I believe with all of my heart God is able to do this. I believe with all of my heart God can do this, will do this. And we pray it with faith. And with that faith, praise the Lord, God is able to touch the sick. There was a time, one time in Jesus' ministry, that he was inside of a house. And uh, he was teaching and, and the house was full of people. They're all packed around him. And there was a man who had a disease and he had to be, he had to get to Jesus. And there was no way that he could get to Jesus. So <clears throat> four men took him up on the roof of the house and they pulled the tile back away, made a big hole in the roof. Just pulling the tile away. They didn't tear up nothing seriously. They just pulled the tile away. And they let the man down on his cot, the bed, as it was called in the Bible. Let him down on his cot in, uh, at, at Jesus' feet. And everybody looked up. Jesus looked up. Here comes the man with ropes coming down, down in front of Jesus. They had brought him unto the Lord to be prayed for that he might be healed or to be healed by Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, their faith. That man was so sick he could hardly think straight. That man was so sick he didn't know what the answer was. It was hard to have faith when you're that sick. But whenever they let him down, praise the Lord, when the Bible says when the Lord saw their faith, and brothers and sisters, when we pray for the sick, let's pray with faith that God is able to touch and God is able to heal. And the Bible says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, here's something else. Look at this closely. This is the same 15th verse. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. God will heal the sick and forgive his sins forgive his sins all at the same time because the power of God is mighty and because we ask God and we beseech, beseech the Lord to do the work God is able to do it I've uh, told this before I have a reason for telling it to you right now uh, I was asked to pray for a lady years ago when I was pastoring uh, up in Port St. Joe Florida a uh, woman's name was Register. She was not in the church. She was a backslider. And she had, she had gotten a, a brain tumor. And they had sent her to Shane's Hospital to be operated on. It was on the left side of her brain inside. And they told her while they were there, they said, okay, we've got a team of doctors. We're ready to go. Uh, we're going to shave your head and go inside and remove that tumor. And when they said, shave your head, all of a sudden she remembered or thought about when she used to walk with God and the Pentecostal women did not cut their hair. And she thought, boy, I'm just going from one thing to another. I'm getting bad to worse. I, I just... I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. And then she told the doctors, I'm not ready for this. They said, well, you have, you, we got to do this. We got, we're ready for you. And she says, no, I'm going to ask this favor. If I can go back home and be prayed for and then come back. They said, all right, we'll give you an extension. They gave her, I don't know, two or three weeks or whatever it was. She left Shane's Hospital in Gainesville, Florida, went back to Port St. Joe, 
got home and she called my wife and said, tell Pastor Myers to come by and pray for me. Well, my wife told me I was running around here, going there, doing this, everything. And uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. And uh, finally, I dropped back by the house in the middle of the day. And my wife says, have you gone by and seen Mrs. Register? She still is calling. She keeps calling, wants you to go by and pray for her. I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go right now. I'll leave from here and go right over there. I went over there, parked my car, went into the house. She said, sitting in the living room in a wheelchair, her whole left side's paralyzed, her arms hanging down by her side, her left leg's paralyzed. She's sitting in that wheelchair. And she said, oh, Brother Myers, I'm in bad shape. And she told me the whole story. I said, okay, let's pray. Let's believe God. I laid hands on her. And I prayed for her, just like I would pray most for anyone. And I was praying for her, and we got all through praying for her, and I was standing there with the oil in my hand and, and looking at her, and uh, she was crying. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to my heart. Now listen to me closely, folks. God spoke to my heart and said to her, ask her if she would live for you if she was healed in other words not only will i heal her but i'll forgive her of all of her sins that she's committed by having left the church this is what the lord was saying and all of a sudden the spirit of the lord came all over me and she was crying and i said mrs register listen to me if god heals you will you live for him now, that's a, that's a serious question. Are you going to or not? Is, that, is it important for you to do that? And she started crying and said, yes, Lord, yes, Brother Myers, I will, I will. Yes, Jesus, I will, I will. And she began to worship the Lord. I anointed her with oil, laid hands on her and prayed for her. And while my eyes were closed and my hand was on her head, I felt my hand go up. Not my hand by itself, but her standing up. And when I opened my eyes, she was standing on her feet with both hands in the air and was worshiping God and praising the Lord and walking around that wheelchair and was totally and completely healed instantly. And all of her sins forgiven. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, there's nothing that God cannot do, but he wants us to be a praying people. And even those that may have committed sins, praise the Lord, and they are afflicted. Amen. God can heal that problem they've got and forgive them of those sins and erase them and take them all away. A number of years ago, when we were in the other church, uh, one of our sisters said to me one uh, day in service, said, Brother Myers, there's a uh, couple ladies here that have come to church today, and they asked me if it would be all right if they came. I told them it would be, and they are lesbians. And uh, I said to them, it was okay. I said, of course, very, we're glad they're here. And after the service was over with, they sent word to me they would like for me to come and visit them in their home. And I sent word back, I would be glad to. And I set a time, a date. And one day I dropped by, next, uh, that, sometime that week, I dropped by one day, went to their house, and sat down in their, their, their little small home. 
And they said to me, we want to ask you some questions. I said, all right. They said, can we be saved? And I said to them, yes, but not stay in the lifestyle you're in. You'll have to leave the lifestyle you're in, but you can be saved. And you can have a hope in heaven like anyone else can, but you cannot remain in your lifestyle. And they said, well, that was our next question. We wanted to ask you that. They said, what if we can't change our lifestyle? I said, oh, you can change your lifestyle. They said, we were born this way. I said, no, you were not born that way. You were introduced to that somewhere in your life. You know when you were. And one of the ladies blinked her eyes a little bit, and she said, yes, I, I know. You're right. I know when I was introduced to it. I know. And the other one looked at me hard, and I knew this was somewhat the masculine figure between the two. She said to me, I was born this way. I said, no, no, somewhere back, it may have been in your childhood. When I said childhood, I saw her blink her eyes. She looked down and she resisted it. No more, said no more. And I said, if you're willing to change your lifestyle, God can fill you with his spirit and bless you and save you. And you can be a part of the body of Christ. Praise God. Well, I didn't see him for a while. One day, uh, several months later, that same sister that had told me originally that they were there, she says they've come back. And one of the ladies has cancer. And is it all right if she came up and was prayed for? I said, of course. When it came time to pray at the altar, listen to me carefully now. When it came time to pray at the altar, she, I, I got the oil and we went down, several people were there and I was going to anoint them with oil. I went to her first and the Lord spoke to me just like he spoke to me when I prayed for that woman that was in that wheelchair back in Port St. Joe. The Lord spoke and I knew it was the Lord and I looked at that woman, I had that oil in my hand and I looked at her and I said, I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be healed or do you want to be prayed for? She knew what I meant. And I knew she would know what I meant. Because if she had said, I want to be healed, I would have said to her, you know what you have to do. She had cancer. She was dying. She had six months to live. She knew what she had to do. And I, I would say to you, you know what you've got to do. And if you will commit yourself to leave this lifestyle, God will heal you right now. I, I believe that with all of my heart. I knew it could happen. And I looked at her and her eyes were big and she looked at me for a long time and I just waited. And then she, her eyes dropped a little and she says, I want to be prayed for. She was saying that I cannot give up the lifestyle. I, I'm not able to. I won't. I can't even try. I won't even try. Folks, let me say something here today. If we, praise the Lord, will say, God, we want to give up drugs, alcoholism. I don't care what it is. If you want to give it up, God will give you power and strength to do it. If you want to leave a perverted background, you can do it. 
but you've got to be willing to let God help you. This is the power of prayer. This is the power in the church. And God, praise the Lord, wants to use the church in these last days to break these vices and to break these grips on people's lives. And it can be broken, but they have to be willing to say, God, I want to be saved. And if they are willing to be saved, I want you to know God can heal those things and change it in their lives. And it will happen. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. That woman, six months later, she died. I'm sorry to say that that's happened, but it was because she was not willing to give up that lifestyle. And she finally concluded, no, I'm not ready to be healed. I'm just ready to be prayed for. And I laid hands on her that night and I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you, knowing that it would not happen, that no healing would happen. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your great goodness and your blessings and your presence and your power. Thank you for the church. Thank you for God's people. Thank you. Hallelujah for the people of God that's above all. I want to read a couple more verses here. I want you to look at this one. Um. Look at verse 16. I'm going to emphasize the latter part of it. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look at that. And if you've got a, your Bible and you've got a pen or something, put a ring around that verse or that part of that verse. Anyhow. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. First of all, it's not talking about just a man. It's talking about mankind. We're talking about men and women. The second point here is that it is talking also about a righteous individual, a righteous person. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman. Praise the Lord. We have to be righteous. We've got to live for God. You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in God. The church cannot live with the world in our lives. You know, we're in the world, but we can't let the world get at us. A ship is in the ocean, but if the ocean gets in the ship, the ship sinks. We're in the world, but the world can't get in the church. We sink. So we have got to be as the church and as the people of God, and God's chosen people, we've got to be, praise the Lord, righteous. We've got to live for God. Amen. Do the things that are right. Love your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Love other people. Uh, don't take vengeance for yourself. Leave all, all those things in the hands of God. Uh, be kind to people. Keep the commandments, walk with God, serve the Lord, dress right, look right, talk right. One fellow said spit white. That's back when they used to chew tobacco. <laughs> you know, just do everything the right way. And God will bless and he will honor. And the presence and the power of God will not only be in our services, but it'll be in our lives when we go out there. You don't know who you're going to come in contact with. Somebody that desperately needs God. And God wants to use you and can use you, praise the Lord, to pray for that person and to encourage them and to give them hope where they have no hope. And I say all of those things to all of us here today to say that God, praise the Lord, wants us to be aware 
that he, praise the Lord, wants us to pray the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person. Now, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have to be fervent in our prayer. We've got to be effectual. We've got to really pray. You've got to get down to business with God. Amen. And uh, really talk to the Lord. Amen. It doesn't have to be loud and uh, don't have to steam up the room, you know, or something like that in prayer. Uh, it may. You may. It may happen that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. But just talk to God and pour out your heart to God and let the Lord know you want to be 100% for him. And I'm telling you today, folks, there's power available to the church. And God wants to use the church in these last days and work the power of God through us to reach this lost and dying world. Because we're coming close to the end time and the Lord wants to give us, praise the Lord, what we need not only to be saved, but what we need to help others to find God, to come back to God, to help backsliders return to the Lord. God wants to do it and he's very much wanting to do it. Now, here's some interesting words here that was said to uh, uh, in the scripture by, by James. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then he says, Elias, which is Elijah. This is Elias is the New Testament pronunciation of the word Elijah. Elijah was a man subject to like passion. I'm reading verse 17 here. He was like passions as we are. In other words, he was a man no different than we are. Just like we are, so was Elijah. So that people don't think Elijah, well, Elijah was really something special out there with God. Uh, basically, he was just a man that God saved, loved, and he prayed, sought God, and God used him because he was a praying man. Elias was a man subject to passions, as we are. And he prayed earnestly, prayed earnestly. What powerful prayer that is. With all of his heart, he prayed earnestly. Look what he prayed for. That it might not rain. Why did he pray that prayer? Because he wanted Israel to feel some pain so they would get back with God. They were having everything. God was blessing them. God was uh, prospering them. Their crops grew. Uh, they had plenty to eat. They had no worries. They were just, uh, they were full. And they were living like the devil. And they were not where they should be with God. And Elijah knew that. And he went before God and he said, God, stop the heavens. Don't let it rain. So that there is no crops, there is no abundance of food. And the people will begin to call on you and say, God, send the rain, send the rain, send the rain. We need you, Lord. We need you. Can I just say here today, America is abundantly blessed, but America is in trouble. We're getting in trouble. We're in trouble. We're getting in more trouble. And America, praise the Lord, has led the world in prosperity. And we have seen the blessings upon this nation that no nation ever in the history of the world has ever had. And it's coming down close to an end. And I don't know how much time we have. But we are the church. And instead of sort of reveling in the prosperity and the blessings of our nation, let us reach out. And let us try to help everybody we can. 
and be missionary minded. God bless these people that go on the foreign field and try to help people get saved there. Be mindful of your neighbors, your friends, your loved ones, the people out there that still need to find God. There's a mission field right here, even in our own homeland. The Bible says Elijah prayed earnestly that it not rain. And it rained not on the earth for the space of three and a half years. Three and, the Bible said three years, six months. That's three and a half years. It didn't rain because this man asked for it not to. And sure enough, a drought came. And I mean, it was bad, it was bad, it was bad. And Elijah, praise the Lord, was able to confront those false prophets, the prophets of Baal, prophets, you know, of the groves, 850 of them and everything. He called fire down from heaven to an altar. All those things happened. And then look what happened. This is what it says here in this 18th verse. And he prayed again. He prayed again. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. And Elijah prayed again. He went back before the Lord and prayed. Uh, if I can just take a moment here and read those, that verse of scripture to you. I'm reading over here in 1 Kings, verse 18. Verse 42, chapter 18, verse 42. Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to, to the top of Carmel. This is Mount Carmel, and it's a big cliff that overlooks the Mediterranean Sea. This is where the city of Haifa is today. There's a big hotel that sits there today. And he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. I don't see anything. And he said, go again. Seven times he said that. Go again. Seven times he did that. Verse 44, and it came to pass at the seventh time. In other words, the servant would come back and say, I don't see anything. Elijah would pray and pray and pray and pray. And he said, go see. Go and look over the sea and see what you can see. I looked over there and I don't see nothing. Just a clear sky. No clouds, nothing. Nothing. He got down and he kept praying. But he kept praying. Third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time. Kept praying. Finally, on the seventh time, look at verse 44. It came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there riseth a little cloud. Now, I see something up there out of the sea like a man's hand. Just a little <laughs> That's all Elijah needed. He knew God was going to answer prayer. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. Because <laughs> it's going to rain. Verse 45, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heavens was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. And Elijah prayed, stopped the heavens, he prayed, and the rains came, praise the Lord. And he was a man of like passion as we are, folks. God wants us to be prayer warriors. He wants us to seek him with all of our hearts. He wants us to love him, praise the Lord, walk with him, be faithful unto him. Put the world out of your mind, this carnality of the world. When I say the world, I'm talking about the spirit of the world. I know we're in the world. I know that. But don't let the world get in us. Put the world out of your life and say, I'm going to walk with God. 
Israel had to leave Egypt before they could receive the promise. We got to leave this old world and leave all that garbage out there. There's a lot of stuff out there. And God wants the church to be the church in these last days. And we have power with God through prayer. That is our avenue of the greatness, the power, the presence, and the blessings of God upon our life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. Praise the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.